Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. In case you haven't heard, I am going to be doing a live podcast recording with Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum. On stage, in front of a live audience, we'll be discussing Ethereum 2.0, governance, and so much more. It will be in New York City on the evening of March 20th at the Columbia University School of Journalism in the Joseph G. D. Jamail Lecture Hall on the third floor. We'll have food, drinks, and giveaways. There are just a few seats left, so buy your tickets now. Check the show notes for the link to purchase. Also, if you have a question for Vitalik, there will be a Q&A at the end. Audience members will have a chance to ask questions, but also podcast listeners can pre-submit videos of themselves asking Vitalik a question. I'll select a few to play during the event. Just record a short video of yourself, one minute max, stating your first and last name, location, and affiliation, if relevant, and asking your question. Email it to hello at unchainedpodcast.com with the subject line video question. Again, that's hello at unchainedpodcast.com with the subject line video question. Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators. Today's guest is Dan Elitzer, investor at IDEO Collab Ventures. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Laura. You wrote a Medium post recently about what you called superfluid collateral. Before you describe your thesis or proposal, you begin the essay by talking about several trends in decentralized finance. What are those trends? Just so listeners have some background about what makes your vision of superfluid collateral possible. Sure. I think the open finance ecosystem has just been booming over the last few months and, and really the last year. One of the big drivers of that has been uh, the introduction and growth of MakerDAO and their stablecoin DAI. And that's really driven by people wanting to lock up their ETH and be able to use that to generate a price-stable token that is useful for uh, transacting with a stable value, having it locked to a dollar rather than floating uh, wildly is very helpful. But also, people are using it to go long and really double down on their crypto investments. And you also talk about some of the other DeFi projects, like in the lending space and, and stuff like that. Can you talk about some of those as well? Sure. So other ones in the lending space include Compound, which has uh, grown a lot as well and is really more of a money market uh, for lending and borrowing various crypto assets. Uh, Dharma uh, recently launched their their Lever product on top of 
their existing lending protocol. Uh, in the exchange space, we've seen ZeroX has been around now for a while and is a very popular protocol with a number of relayers built on top. And there are others, including uh, Kyber and AirSwap and most recently Uniswap, uh, that provides an on-chain way to do decentralized exchange. And this mixture of ways to exchange and lend and borrow uh, various types of tokens are really coming together to create something very interesting and unique uh, that I think is showing the glimmer of what a, a future fully open financial system could look like. And for listeners who missed those episodes, I did interview Compound and uh, the MakerDAO team that actually spanned two episodes because it's a pretty complex system and Dharma. um, So a lot of these zero X. So a lot of these DeFi projects have been featured on Unchained. I will uh, link to those in the show notes. So now let's move on to this new concept your post describes liquid collateral. What is that? Yeah, so the idea here is that uh, most of these protocols, especially ones around lending and borrowing, are based on the idea of collateralizing loans. So because blockchains typically operate in a pseudonymous fashion, if you don't know who's borrowing from you, you can't really extend them credit risk. And so you need to ask them to lock up or require them to lock up greater than the value of the loan that what you're, what you're trying to offer them. And that protects the lender's from default risk, if the collateral ever drops below a certain ratio, then that collateral can be automatically handed off to the lenders and uh, liquidated to pay back the loan. And so that is uh, how collateral tends to work. Now, one of the challenges with that is it's really capital inefficient, right? If I want to take out a $100 loan and I need to lock up over $150 worth of collateral, that's not very efficient, uh, certainly compared to the traditional financial system where, uh, for example, when you buy a house, you'll put down essentially 20% uh, as collateral to borrow a much larger amount. So this feels like it should create a really capital inefficient system, but liquid collateral or the the term I used uh, for the title to get a little more attention was superfluid collateral, um, the idea of allowing collateral to be used in multiple places at the same time. And that's something that when I was first feeling out this idea and discussing with a few other people, we all kind of had the same response of that seems really bad and dangerous that you could have an asset sit in two places at once. And I think, yes, uh, it, it may very well be, but it also is going to help a lot with capital efficiency for these protocols and create some really interesting combinations. And before we dive more into the superfluid collateral, there's one point that you mentioned that I just want to dig into a little bit more. You said that essentially we would be doing this because we or, or sorry that these systems use collateral because there are not good kind of credit scoring systems and so in in crypto right now. But overall between the two ways of you know, kind of uh, deciding whether or not to give a loan, like is one better than the other? I think they serve different purposes. Uh, I, I was on a panel recently with Jake Bruckman from CoinFund, and he described it as saying, maybe this is creating a more Austrian economics version of uh, finance and lending. And I think that's a, a very interesting way to look at it. I, I don't think one's inherently better than the other. They serve different purposes and have different uses. But it's not just that we're lacking good 
decentralized credit scoring systems or decentralized identity systems that makes this the way that we do things, uh, there's always the risk, even if you have a strong credit scoring system, if somebody has their identity stolen, uh, then you could end up not lending to who you think you're lending to. And what this ensures is as a lender, even if the person who's borrowing assets from you has their keys stolen or has aspects of their identity stolen, you're still not exposed to the risk of the person who's kind of committed theft or fraud on the other end. And so now let's dive into superfluid collateral. Like, how does that work exactly? Walk us through an example. So one example for this would be looking at the the makeup of the MakerDAO collateralized debt position um, kind of landscape, right? By the definition in the protocol today, you need to have a minimum of 150% of the loan value in ETH locked up as collateral. If it drops below that, your CDP is at risk of liquidation at a 13% penalty. Now, a 13% penalty is pretty bad, so a lot of people maintain these really, really high like uh, basically collateral to loan value ratios. And it's typically around 300% on average across the system. So that means even in an over-collateralized system, twice as much collateral as is strictly necessary is currently being locked up. So uh, Salme Jane, the, the creator of Instadap, proposed a system that that they're building to actually pool these CDPs together and create almost like a giant CDP uh, where there are still essentially individual accounts within that, but any excess or a certain portion of the excess ETH that's locked up would actually be deposited into Compound and would be able to earn the supply APR, essentially interest, from being available through Compound. But then whenever any of the the CDPs got close to being in danger of liquidation, it could easily automatically pull out uh, that ETH from compound and put it back into the CDP to ensure it doesn't get liquidated. So that's a way where you would see uh, ETH that's currently essentially deadweight loss in the ecosystem uh, is then instead made available to other people to borrow while still ensuring that the maker system doesn't take on significant additional risk by having under collateralized CDPs. Great. In a moment, we're going to discuss more of the risks inherent in this system. But first, a quick break from our fabulous sponsors. Ready or not, the Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages, and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at CypherTrace.com slash unconfirmed. Back to my conversation with Dan Elitzer of IDEO Collab Ventures. So in your post, after describing this concept compound ETH or, you know, a way to take the collateral in these MakerDAO CDPs to have them earn interest. You also then talk about how this could work with something called Uniswap. Can you describe Uniswap for listeners who haven't heard about it? Plus also explain how uh, that comes into play in your, in your vision for what this system could look like. Sure. So Uniswap is a, is a very exciting, uh, 
recent launch in the decentralized exchange space. They launched back in November at uh, DevCon, and it's an entirely on-chain exchange. And rather than having an order book like some other systems, it uses what's known as an automated market maker. Um, and so this automated market maker basically ensures that uh, if you want to trade any token against ETH, uh, you have a constant product formula. So uh, the the formula is X times Y equals K, K being the constant product, X is ETH, Y is the other token. And you can always buy or sell uh, ETH or that token with the Uniswap contract directly. Now, the way this works is for liquidity providers, this is a much easier system to work than, say, providing liquidity on a 0x-based relayer, right? Instead of having to worry about managing your bid offer spread, instead, as a liquidity provider, you just deposit an equal dollar value of ETH and this other token into the pool. As trades happen on Uniswap, each trade incurs a 0.3% fee, which is paid into the liquidity pool. So if you are providing 10% of, say, the ETH die liquidity pool in Uniswap, you will receive essentially a 10% of that 0.3% in fees every time. It, it's not paid out as fees, it just increases the size of the liquidity pool, which you have a claim on. Um, the interesting thing about this from a superfluid collateral perspective is that these uh, kind of the liquidity is represented in the form of pool shares, which are themselves ERC twenty tokens, and so those ERC twenty tokens represent a claim on a share of the ETH and die sitting in the Uniswap liquidity pool. Yeah, when I read your post, I I actually think I had not been aware that a liquidity pair was an actual token. So um, so that was yeah a little bit mind-boggling and so yeah i hadn't been aware of that either <laughs> I, I discovered it by just poking around on etherscan i was looking at some transactions i'd done recently looking at you know what what random erc20s have been airdropped to this address and i saw this like uni one or v1 or something and i was like what is that and i kind of clicked through and went oh wow those are related to the liquidity i'm providing on uniswap that's interesting. And it, and it took a little while to connect the dots in terms of the potential implications of that. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about kind of a pretty bold statement you made in your post, which is, I predict we'll see Uniswap pool shares used as collateral for millions of dollars in loans in months, not years. <laughs> what makes you yeah. <laughs> so confident about that? Uh, I would say it's not something I'm highly confident on that, right? I'm not going to like, um, you know, bet my house on that sort of thing. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's something that if you look at the growth that Uniswap is, is experiencing, and if you look at the growth of the overall ecosystem, we're now, um, well over $300 million in collateral across the open finance ecosystem on Ethereum. So that's that's really just been growing at a, at a pretty crazy rate. A lot of it has been driven by Maker. Uh, but if you look at, there's a great uh, chart, uh, ETH locked in DeFi. Uh, I think Mike McDonald put this together. It's available on GitHub. You can put it in the show notes. Um, they, you can see uh, these other protocols besides Maker are starting to make headway, including Uniswap is is really been leading the charge recently. And I think that it's really interesting to use these Uniswap pool share tokens as collateral because 
the downside risk of them as collateral is going to be no worse than the downside of either ETH or the other token that it's paired with in that pool. And so you should actually see a, a bit more stability than either one of them individually. And also, as there are trades, the value of those shares are actually going to increase over time. And, and so it kind of creates this natural upward force um, in terms of your the amount of collateral you have there. And so the idea of being able to both earn fees as a liquidity provider uh, while also having that capital effectively available to you to use elsewhere at the same time, I think that's going to be incredibly attractive. And so the rate that we've seen um, Hayden from Uniswap and uh, the teams at you know, Maker and Compound and Dharma um, iterating, I, I think this is based on the level of attractiveness and growth we're already seeing in these protocols. It's not hard for me to, to imagine that we'll see millions of dollars um, in loans being collateralized by Uniswap shares within the next year. And so essentially what that would require is, so MakerDAO first needs to move to multi-collateral DAI. Yeah. So for Maker, I think it's it's a little harder because uh, they they do have the governance process they need to go through. Something like Dharma is a lot easier to see because with on, on Lever, maybe not, but but Dharma as a protocol, right, it's not like Maker where you need to get everyone to agree to changes. There's these open Dharma contracts. So Anybody can go and say, yeah, I'd be willing to offer you a loan um, and accept Uniswap uh, pool shares as collateral. So I think that something like that, it's a little easier to see that happening in the maker. But certainly if if uh, in multi-collateral a maker decided to allow this, then yeah, I think no question we'd, we'd get to millions of dollars very quickly. Oh, and then wait, so maybe I misunderstood. So with the, the Uniswap pool shares, you were saying that the market makers could like... I guess earn money on that, it, 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 like on those on those tokens. Is that? I feel like I missed something in there. Sorry, yeah. Let me let me clarify. So the market makers in Uniswap are already earning from the collateral they're making available as liquidity. What I'm saying is, then if they wanted to then take those pool shares and say, I still want to keep earning uh, transaction fees by being a liquidity provider. But oh, by the way, I also want to borrow some extra ETH or some extra DAI. Uh, they could go and create an uh, a loan request, um, essentially using the Dharma protocol, and say, "I'd like to borrow a thousand dollars worth of ETH. I'm willing to offer fifteen hundred dollars or more uh, worth of Uniswap pool shares as collateral for that loan, and I'll pay a you know five percent." Uh, APR on that. Uh, and then anybody can say, oh, yeah, that sounds good to me. I'll take it. Um, and we'll offer them ETH at you know, 5% APR and be confident that should this person default on the loan, uh, they'll be able to recover essentially their assets by taking and liquidating the Uniswap pool shares. Okay. So as you mentioned in your- and Because this is really just two parties involved in this, that would be easier than something like Maker, where you need to go through the whole governance process to get a, a specific asset approved for inclusion in multi-collateral die. Right, right. So in your post, you also mentioned that 
a system of super clue, a superfluid collateral could also go horribly wrong. So what are, let's dive into the risks. What are those? Yeah, I mean, it's not hard for anybody who you know remembers 2007, 2008, like the parallels with uh, the the mortgage market um, and CDOs uh, is not hard to draw. Um, the thing is, we're gonna see these things anyway. This is very similar to a concept we see in the traditional finance world of rehypothecation, um, kind of relending out assets that are or reborrowing against the same assets multiple times. Um, and it's dangerous already. It creates additional like leverage effectively in the financial system. Where I think this is better is that at least it's transparent. It's all on-chain. Anybody can theoretically go and do a, a pretty solid risk analysis to see how things are connected. Uh, if this starts becoming the norm more people are going to push the boundaries and look for an extra edge. And we're going to start to see stuff getting mixed up in a way that's harder to untangle. Uh, it's, it's also not hard to imagine if you're collateralizing uh, a CDP with Uniswap pool shares um, from say ETH die shares and the price of ETH drops and your CDP ends up getting liquidated and those pool shares get liquidated and they remove liquidity from Uniswap and from traders that can actually exacerbate then the price drop and cause further liquidations and create a downward spiral. So it really does link the whole system together. And, and I think it does create more systemic risk. The real question is going to be not, you know, should we do this? It's going to happen. It's, it's, it's saying, assuming we accept that this is going to happen, how do we put kind of guidelines and kind of warning signs around this so that people are doing it in as safe a way as possible so that we don't uh, get out over our skis. And could those quote-unquote guidelines be coded in smart contracts in some way where if the system would not let you do things beyond a certain level of, rev- level of risk? Uh, I think maybe in some cases, yes. I think the complexity is going to make that a little bit hard. And I think it's it's maybe more important for this to be more social contract driven than put into code. Uh, one of the amazing things about Ethereum is because it is so flexible, you can basically make it do just about anything. And so even relatively simple restrictions that we see, things like you know vesting, um, that's something that it's pretty easy to circumvent with an Ethereum. If you, if you allow people to vest into any address, they could vest into an address that um, is a, itself a contract and is issuing, you know, ERC twenty tokens that represent claims on your tokens as they vest. Uh, so it, this was this is already something that happens, you know, privately in paper with you know uh, privately traded uh, startup shares, but it's easier to do this on chain because you can encode these guarantees and there's less trust required. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the ability to put all the right boundaries on this on chain. I think there really is a kind of social boundaries and guidelines component that is going to be necessary for this. All right. Well, we will see how this plays out in the future. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. 
If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Rayleigh Gallipoli, Fox of Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.